Doesn't that look like fun? Yeah, (laughs) you may want to go and not even bring your kids. Um, But uh, I would encourage you to come with a kid if you come. Uh, Or serve, as Jeannie mentioned. And I I, want to let you know, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church. And I'm looking forward to serving with you uh, over Easter weekend. We really do think that that's one of the best ways for you to experience what God's doing here is to actually be a, a part of it, be a participant in what God is doing. And so Jeannie mentioned those cards uh, I just want to let you know, I'm gonna, I have some opening comments and I'm going to pray when we get into the message, but this is a great time for you to fill out this card. Just, just tune me out right now. You can fill this out. And then at the end of the message, we're, uh, as we move into worship, there'll be a chance for you to put that in the offering bucket. And uh, we don't want you to miss that opportunity. Uh, great, great, great uh, experience that weekend. And then also just want to let you know, not only uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to serving alongside of you, uh, we're in the midst of our invites for Easter as well. And we uh, have been doing tickets here at Easter, if you know about that, just so we can plan better. And more than half of our tickets for Easter weekend are already spoken for in just one week. So if you're thinking about maybe inviting some folks or getting some tickets, I'd encourage you to do that after the service tonight. We are reaching out to our neighbors and some folks that we kind of see around the neighborhood and family members. Uh, I joke with people, I'm going to invite some of my coworkers with me. We'll see if they show up. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I think... Uh, it's good. It's because I work here. Uh, anyway, uh, so here's the deal. We, uh, we want you to experience it and be a part of it. And specifically on Easter, uh, we are having a, uh, our, we've worked hard to create a very clear, very creative, very compelling gospel presentation. The gospel is the central message to the story of Jesus and Christianity and uh, we want to make sure that our friends and coworkers and neighbors, the people we care about, hear this message clearly uh, and that they would actually be able to respond to it. And I just want to let you know, I know there are folks that you are praying for, that you are nervous about asking, and they might not ever, like, ever come to church otherwise, but they might just show up on this weekend. And our hope and prayer is that they would take a step forward in having a relationship with Jesus. And there's some of us who are here in this room tonight or who are listening or watching online and you've been kind of towing the line of what it means to really go all in with Jesus, our prayer is that this Easter, you would hear this message of God's love extended to you, and you'd say, I may not have all my answers, but I'm, I'm all in. I want a, a relationship with Jesus. That's our hope, and that's our prayer, and that's our focus and goal uh, for Easter weekend. So we're excited uh, to be able to do that. Tonight we're kicking off, as Jeannie mentioned, a new series uh, where uh, we're going to be looking at finances. And I know some people can get kind of weirded out when you talk about church and money, and that can kind of stress some people out. But I, I want to let you know this is very important for us, and we talk about this regularly here at Soul City Church uh, because we see it talked about regularly throughout Scripture and because it comes up in our lives regularly. You know, when you look in the Gospels, Jesus actually spoke to money more than he spoke to heaven, hell, and marriage combined. In fact, just about any of the sort of the hot topic issues that we focus on, Jesus spoke about money more than that. Why? Because he was obsessed with money? Absolutely not. Look at his life. Not at all. He knew how obsessed we can get with it. And he knew that there was a war waging for our soul over money. He knew that there was going to be, for every single one of us, not only a war for our soul, but an opportunity for growth, a transformational opportunity that God would use to leverage our resources, not only to do great good in the world, as we're going to look at here tonight, but to grow us from the inside out and to transform us. 
And so we want to be the kind of church that keeps in step with the teaching of the Bible. And we want to talk about money openly, honestly, from the Bible freely so that we can actually live a life that God intends for each one of us. And what we find again and again, you're actually going to see in the passage we're going to study together tonight, there's a theme that occurs again and again throughout Scripture, despite our assumptions and fears about God and money. And it is simply this, that God, when it comes to your money, is not trying to get something from you. But in fact, he has something, what? For you. This is very important. And I want you to see this and put this to test throughout the teachings of the scriptures. That God, when it comes to your money, is not trying to get something from you. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He cares about your soul, your relationship with him. And so God has something for you tonight, for you tonight that you can actually put into practice when it comes to your finances and resources starting today. And so we're excited to dive into that together. So if we could, can we just pray together that we would be open to receiving what God has for us? And then also as I'm praying, you can continue to fill out that card, pray for this microphone, do whatever you need to do, but let's pray together as we start and dive into God's word together. God, we, we ask that as we open your word, as we open the Bible, that you would open our hearts You'd open our eyes, God, to what's really going on in our finances. God, that you would open our lives up to the possibility of what it would look like to leverage our lives well for you and to trust you with the resources that you've entrusted to us. And so, God, we ask that you would not only teach us, but that you would transform us and we would walk out of here different people, closer to you and more free with our finances. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if you track this or not, but, you know, currently um, there is something going on in in, in our state and around the country that has people really kind of hyped and excited. And it is specifically, and I I know you'd never admit this publicly, but it's uh, it's called Powerball. And uh, I don't know if any of you know currently what the Powerball total is up to uh, right now. There's a big drawing on Wednesday night. Does anyone know what the actual amount is for Powerball right now? You don't want to admit that too quickly in church. That's very wise of you to kind of pause on that one and sit in your hands on that one. Do you know this Wednesday there's a drawing for $183 million this Wednesday for Powerball. That's a, that's a lot of money out there. And so let, I know you don't play the lottery. I understand that. But let's just say someone did and they accidentally dropped the card on your desk and it was the winning card. And you won it all. All $183 million. Here's what I want you to think about, and I'm going to ask you to share with the person next to you. What's the first thing you would do or buy with $183 million? Now, I already know that you're going to tithe on that 10%. That's a given, so that answer is out. All your lotto and all your blackjack winnings, I know that you tithe on those. So assuming that answer is off the table, I want you to give your honest answer, not your churchy answer. Give your honest answer for what you would buy, what you'd do, what you'd pay off, what trip you'd take if you had $183 million. Everyone has to talk to someone, and I'm going to ask you to turn and talk to that person right now. Go for it.
All right. You got like 20 more seconds. 20 more seconds. All right. Well, this is good. That's, that's, that's kind of fun stuff to talk about, right? We, we've all kind of like, be honest, you've all kind of dreamed about that or wondered about that, like what you do if that happened to you sort of thing. It's a conversation that actually comes up in our house quite a bit, honestly, to be real honest with you. Uh, you know, there's a couple shows that our kids love to watch, you know, like My Little Pony and G.I. Joe and all that kind of stuff. And, but there's one show that our son Elijah, who's seven, he's really, really into. We have like 11 of them recorded on our DVR right now. And it's a show on HGTV. Not a lot of seven-year-olds watching HGTV, but, you know, he gets it from his mother. And so we, we uh, have this show that he loves called Million Dollar Rooms. I don't know if you've seen it. Not Million Dollar Homes, Million Dollar rooms. And so they go to all these really, really, really nice houses and they look at how people spent millions and millions on a master bedroom. And they have like anti-gravity beds or, you know, they have unbelievable in the bathroom. They're like, oh yeah, you know, this is stone that we got from outer space and, you know, an asteroid fell and we made a sink out of it. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like the lengths that money, of money that people will spend on, on just a Room And so it will lead to some very interesting conversations because Elijah loves this show. And so he'll ask like regularly, like, Dad, do you think we'll ever have money like that? And I ask him back, do you? (laughs) Our ship has sailed, dude. Look what we do for a living. But there's still a chance with you, son. It's very moldable. And uh, and so he'll ask like deep, deep, deep kind of questions like we're going to dive into tonight. Like, Dad, do you? do you think we'll ever have a shark grotto? I hope so, son. I hope so. Right now we have a baptismal. And we could fill that with sharks. And I think that would actually up the ante for baptism significantly. You got to want to be baptized if that is a baptism shark grotto going on over there. So we all kind of have our dreams. We all wonder, what if, what if, what if I had this amount of money? What would I do? And we kind of have our idea of what we would do if we were ever rich. And I don't mean even like the $130 million kind of rich. I mean that number that every one of us has in our head. No matter how much you have in your bank, there is a number you have in your head. And we're going to call it the if I just had number. Every one of us has an if I just had number. You know, if I just had this much money, well, then I could finally pay off my debt or my college, you know, loans. Or if I just made this much money, then I could finally move into a house instead of an apartment. If I just had this much money, I could finally get a car that like starts at least five times out of 10. If I just had, we all have that number in our head. If I just had this much money, then I could finally be generous. Like, like I really want to be. I have that desire in my heart. I just don't have the resources to do it right now. If I just had, if I just had this much money, just this much money, then I wouldn't have to worry about money anymore. No matter what the number is in your bank account, all of us have a number in our head. Our if I just had number. And the problem with our if I just had numbers is that while each of us has them and each of them are different, all of them are always in flux, always moving. 
The goalposts to rich is always moving. And so our if I just had number continues to sort of get a little further out, a little further out, a little further out each year. Let me show you exactly what I mean. I want you to think back to the first real job you ever had. Go back to like if you got a job in high school. I'm not talking about babysitting and mowing lawns where they paid you under the table. Like that's fine and that's all good. I'm talking about the first real job you ever had where they printed you a check and your name was like typed on a check and there was a bunch of numbers that you had no idea what they meant and you had a real check. Do you remember what your first job was? When you really first had some real money? I remember what mine was. I was about 15 years old, in fact, I think when I got hired there. I worked at Blockbuster Video. Uh, it was a store where you would go to rent VHS tapes. I know that means nothing to most of you, but these really did exist at one point. And, uh, and I worked at one. I, in fact, I was a CSR, customer service representative. And I rocked my tan pants and chambray shirt and little name badge every day. And I was so proud to have my first job. And I remember exactly my first paycheck. You had to work like a month before you got your first paycheck because of all the payroll kind of stuff. And so I got my first paycheck. And it was, I'm telling you, I walked to the, like I got to the bank in our little town and I opened up my very first bank account, like my first checking account. And I got my first real checkbook. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I have checks, like a checkbook with real checks. And because I was 15, I was like, I got the Bugs Bunny checks because that's how I roll. And so I thought that was like so funny and so clever at 15 to have Bugs Bunny checks. And, 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 and so like I remember walking out of that bank having just put my first real paycheck and having my, my checkbook in my hand. And you know what I thought to myself as I walked out of that bank that day? I'm rich. I've never had this much money at one point. It's in a bank. They're taking care of it for me. I'm rich. And if you were to somehow pull up to 15-year-old Jarrett in the DeLorean time machine and wheel right up to Jarrett and say, Jarrett, I want to tell you something. We've been to the future. We've met 25-year-old Jarrett. Do you know that in just 10 years, 25-year-old Jarrett is going to make four times as much as you currently make right now? I would have been blown away. He must be rich. I would have had so many questions. First of which, is he still working at Blockbuster? I would want to make sure that that wasn't happening. And if you were to pull up in the time machine to 25-year-old Jarrett and say, 25-year-old Jarrett, do you have any idea how much 40-year-old Jarrett is going to make? Do you have any idea? I would have said, he must have won Powerball. Like, there's no way. That is well beyond my if I just had number. See, when you first got your first paycheck, that was all the money you'd ever had, and that was as much money as you ever thought you could have. And your number, if I just had, was very small. But the more and more you worked and the more and more you made, the more and more that number kept moving further off into the horizon. And so we all have our number, but it just always keeps on moving. Because rich is a moving target. And, and no, while everyone's sort of in their mind, well, you probably wouldn't use this word, but let's just be honest because we're in church. Every one of us at some level wants to be rich. None of us would actually admit that we actually are rich, but all of us would like to actually be rich at some point. The problem is the number just keeps moving off into the horizon in front of us. And so what ends up happening is we end up getting focused on if I could just get, if I could just have, if I only had. And our focus and our effort is trying to figure out how to get rich. We want to figure out how to get to that number, that thing. It's different for every one of us, but if I could just get 
rich, for lack of a better word, then I would be okay. Then I could live the life that God intended for me. And all the while, while we're trying to figure out how to get rich, God wants to actually teach us how to be rich. And there's a huge difference between those two. Our focus, our efforts, our attention tend to be on getting rich, getting to that number or as close to it as possible. What God desires for you and for me and for us this weekend, as we're going to see from this text in a minute, he desires for you to be rich, to live richly today. No matter how much money you have in your bank account, no matter what the if I just had number is in your head, God is inviting you and me to be rich today. There is a huge difference between getting rich and being rich. I bet every one of us knows someone who got rich without knowing how to be rich. Don't you? You've watched someone, maybe in your family or a coworker. At the very least, you've watched it on TV. Someone get really famous really fast, sign a big contract in the NBA or whatever. And now all of a sudden, this person got rich and they don't know how to be rich. Maybe they made a big deal and they came into a big sum of money. Maybe it was an inheritance or maybe they sold a company. And here they are with a ton of money. And you're kind of looking over them going, well, wouldn't it be nice? That person, seriously, they got rich, but they may not know how to be rich. And so you can kind of watch, and it's easy to spot from a distance, how they waste their money on this and that. And you look at them going, you don't know how to be rich. I would do it so much better. Please, God, give me the chance to show the world how to be rich. And so you look and say, oh, man, I would not have bought that car. They bought a car that they don't even need. They spent way too much on a car that they'll never even really drive. Or they bought a house that's way too big, and they filled it with a bunch of stuff that they'll never use. And they've surrounded themselves with a bunch of people who are helping them make unwise financial decisions. And that person clearly got rich without knowing how to be rich. And it's really easy for us to stand at a distance and point fingers and say, yeah, that's, that's exactly what happened to that person. You can see that and you can just kind of wait for their downfall to happen. Very easy for us to spot that in others. A lot harder for us to spot it in ourselves. What if instead of us worrying about sort of everyone else and what they've got or how they got rich, what if in fact even instead of us worrying about how to get rich, we worked on being rich right now, right here, today, where we are, to live Richly as God would desire for each one of us. What if, and I just want to put this out there to you, what if, what if you actually already were rich and you didn't even realize it? What if you already were rich? Now again, I don't know what the number is in your bank account. I don't know what the number is in your head. But I have a hunch that every one of us is actually already rich. I want you to think about how much money you make gross in a year. I want you to think about, just for a second in your head, how much do you make? You should, you should probably know this number. So, so how much do you know, how much do you make kind of gross in a year? Can, I, can you get that number in your head real quick? How much did you make last year? Or how much are you on schedule to make this year? You got that number in your head? Okay, I want you to turn to the person next to you and share it with them right now. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Ah, oh, well, I would never, I might do that. To, no, I would never do that to you. I would never, I would never do that to you. It stresses, he stresses us out. We're so afraid. They might be more rich than I am. I might be more rich than them. They're going to ask me for stuff. I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> I wouldn't have you share that. I do want you, though, to, to keep that number in your head. Keep your, whatever you made or made last year or on schedule to make this year, I want you to keep that number in your head. You know, it's really interesting. If you were to add up all the income annually, around the world, globally, if you were to add all those numbers together and look at where you fall 
on that scale. It's very sobering. In fact, do you know that if you make more than $45,000 a year, which is less than the U.S. annual average income, if you make $45,000 a year or more, do you know that you fall in the top 1% of income earners in the world? If you make more than $45,000 a year as a household, as an individual, you're in the top 1% of income earners annually in this world. Like, people want to occupy you, okay? Like, you're them. You're the 1%. Don't tell anyone. People will be protesting out in the lobby. It's sobering to think about that, but it's numbers are numbers, facts are facts. And I know what you're thinking, like, I got you, I got you, teacher guy, awesome. I'm a college student. I don't make that much, or I only have a part-time job, or I only worked half the year last year. I I understand. Do you know what, the numbers still hold. If you made $25,000 last year, or on schedule to make $25,000, this is $500 a week, $25,000, you're in the top 6% of income earners in the world. Friends, could it be? that no matter how much money you have in the bank and no matter what that number is in your head, that each one of us is actually already rich. You're already rich. You're already, you and I are already rich. Now, I know you don't feel that way. I know it doesn't emotionally, you have your number like, oh, if I just had or if I could just get to, I know it doesn't feel that way, but just based on the numbers, you and I are actually already rich. Let me just paint it this way. If you woke up this morning and there was a roof over your head, you're already rich. If your windows were still intact, if if you walked to a closet and you had options for outfits, we're already rich. If you didn't have to think twice about where breakfast or lunch were coming from today, if you had enough money to sort of either drive over here or, or take public transportation to get over here and you didn't even have to really worry and you didn't have to walk six miles to get here, we're already rich. If you own a cell phone right now where you can actually tweet out to the rest of the world, I'm really rich, like you are already, you're already rich. And I know it doesn't feel emotionally satisfying. I know that. I get that. Like it doesn't feel like you're rich, but the reality is we already are, so what might God want to say to all us rich folk tonight? How might God want to lead us in being rich, living more richly right where we are today? So I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible, if you would, please. And we're going to open to a passage of Scripture that I think beautifully speaks into the opportunity that God has for us when it comes to our finances for real transformation you can open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, we have you covered. I'd ask you to grab one of the blue Bibles. I'd ask everyone to grab a Bible. If you are wondering or skeptical or you want to learn or grow in what God has to say about finances and about your life, then let's turn together to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the blue Bibles, it's page 831. 
Hey, listen to this. We say it every week, but we really mean it. If you're serious about investigating a relationship with God and you don't own a Bible yet, this is a pretty important piece to the puzzle. And so we want you to have this. And so the Bible you're now holding in your hand, you can just literally write your name in it right now. This is your Bible. You need to take this Bible home with you. This is going to be an incredible Sunday because people are going to ask you what you did tonight. You're going to say, I went to church. I found out I was rich and I stole a Bible from church. That is a record day, friend. So we want you to know this because this is that important. Page 831 of the Blue Bible, 1 Timothy 6, quick context. This is a letter written from the Apostle Paul who wrote about half the New Testament to one of his disciples, his followers, Timothy, someone he was training for ministry and to do what he was doing. Timothy was leading a fast-growing church. And so Paul's instructions to Timothy ultimately affect this church. And I believe what Paul said to Timothy 2,000 years ago still apply. I think God is speaking them directly to our lives today. Just look at how timeless this transformational truth is from God. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. I'm going to pause every now and then. I want you to speak the word back to me. Let's look at what God has to say about those of us who are already rich. Paul says this, and I believe God is saying this to you and I tonight. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Hit pause right there. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Has anyone ever met anyone like that? And they flaunt it. And they want you to know what, not only what they got, but how much they paid for it. And they want to let you know where they vacationed. And they want to let you know where they live. And they want to let you know there's like an arrogance that goes to their affluence. And it can be very defeating, demoralizing, and honestly, it can lead you to judge. We've met people like that, or people who've put their hope in their stuff. Listen, our, our, our culture is filled with stories about people who put their hope in their wealth but the Bible says 2,000 years ago, this is now, this is pre-2008 housing crash, this is pre-recession, this is pre-capitalism, God is already saying, look, wealth is uncertain, that's the way of the world, and we've all seen people who've put their hope in their wealth. Proverbs talks about people who try and build an unscalable wall around them with their wealth so that they can keep trouble out and keep their money in, and it never works. It's never enough. So God is saying to us, don't, don't be like that, arrogant, putting your hope in your wealth, which is so uncertain. But, Paul says, tell them to put their hope in who? God. Put your hope in God. Now look at how Paul plays this phrase again and again. Put your hope in God who what? Richly. Isn't that great how Paul's going to get that word in there? Who richly, who literally lavishes provision, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And that's, that seems counterintuitive to our assumptions and fears about what God wants to do with our stuff. So I don't know if you're anything like me, but you know, my fear when it comes to trusting God with what he's entrusted to me is, man, God's going to take all the fun out of it. I don't get to have any fun things anymore. If I give my money to God, it's just, it's going to be like sitting in the corner eating ramen. Like it's just going to be, this is no fun, man. And that's our fear. And yet what scripture teaches is, no, 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 God is the one who actually already has richly provided you with everything you need for your what? Enjoyment. Now our fear is that the scripture is going to say, command those who are rich to give all their money away. Now Jesus challenged someone specifically at one point to do just that. But that's not the teaching here. 
It could be command those who are rich to feel really guilty about being rich. Feel really bad about it. It's not what God says. It's command those who are rich, and that includes every one of us, command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in it. Money isn't a bad thing. In fact, it can be one of the most transformational tools that God can use in your life as long as you don't put your hope and salvation in it. Moving on, verse 18, command them, that would be us, to do good, to be, what's the word? To be rich. There it is again. I love it. Paul's just wording this language through here. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. To share that concept that you learned in kindergarten, which has become so hard for you to do as an adult. Put your hope in God and seek to do good with what you've got. To be generous with what God has already generously given you. To be rich in good deeds. To have a reputation not for your bottom line, but for how well you serve and love and bless others. To be generous to be willing to share. And then this is why, verse 19, in this way, by doing this, when we sort of live richly like that, in this way, you and I will actually lay up, store up, put away treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. So many of us have been so obsessed by the pursuit of the good life that we've missed true life. And what God is saying here to us is really literally Paul is borrowing from Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, don't store up treasures here on earth. You're familiar with this teaching. Don't like make all your investments into what is right in front of you because listen, like moths and rust and thieves can come and take and steal and destroy all of that. But Jesus said instead, invest into Store your treasures up in heaven, into people, into the work of God, because those things cannot be destroyed. Paul is borrowing from the same exact sentiment and teaching the same exact teaching here to us tonight. When you and I live richly, when we learn how to be rich with wherever we're at and whatever we've got, we are actually investing in, we are diversifying our portfolio into the things of God. We're investing into a life bigger than ourselves. We're investing into, as we're going to explore next month in April, we're investing into the kingdom of God, which is both right here at hand and not quite yet. It's this way of life that God is inviting us into. A life that is truly great, that is truly rich, and that's truly free. What would it look like for you and I to begin to apply this teaching from the scripture, to accept the reality that, you know what, if we're being really honest, we're already rich. And so how then should we live? How can we begin to live more richly right now where we're at? How can we apply this teaching to our lives? Well, I I think just a couple thoughts coming directly from this passage in 1 Timothy 6. I think first and foremost, important thing for every one of us to do, and you can start this tonight, is to choose to put your trust more in God than in your stuff. Easy to say, hard to do. But to choose to put your trust more in God than you do in your stuff. More in God, the one who actually provides you with all you need for your enjoyment, more in him than in the actual stuff that God 
gives you. And it can get re- it's a real thin line from sort of putting our trust in God to putting our trust in our stuff and hoping and looking for it to save us or to define us or to give us worth and meaning. You know, one of the ways I think this week that you could actually apply this text literally starting tonight to put your trust more in God than in your stuff is to walk through your apartment or walk through your home and do like a, an assessment. Walk through the stuff you have and just go, you know what, God? You walk to your closet full of clothes. Literally, out loud, say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you've provided me with these clothes. I want to believe that they can't make it another season. I want to believe that they are going to be obsolete in a year. But God, the reality is, I don't have to stand in front of a closet full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. You've already provided for me. You literally say out loud, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I I have this bed. Thank you, God, that I have this stereo system. And God, it's from 1992, and I don't know how it, it still works, but I have one, and I can play cassette tapes off it. And so, God, thank you for it. I thank you for it. And everything in my head is going to say, if I want to live the good life, then I have to upgrade, and I have to upgrade. But God, you know what? I just choose to say thank you for it, because I don't want to put my hope in getting the next newest thing. I want to thank you, God, for what you've given me. I believe it comes from you. Thank you, God. You literally walk through and make an assessment of your stuff. You can do that tonight. I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I enjoy this. I'm grateful for it. I don't have to feel guilty about this, God. Thank you. And God, for the things that I went overboard on, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. All right, another thought. How can you this week begin to do good with what you've got? I think it's one of the biggest lies the enemy wants to tell you about your stuff is that you have to wait to get a lot to do a lot. That you can't give until you've got. Not true. What we see in this passage is that God is inviting you right now today to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to do good with what you've got. It's not a lot. I don't have much. It's a place to start, though. It's actually a way that you can learn and practice being rich today. So you have a car, and you don't love it. How can you help others with that car? How can you maybe give someone else a ride that needs a ride, or how can you let them borrow it for the weekend when you're not using it? It's a way for you to be rich by saying, this is something that God's given to me, and I want to be generous with it. One of the ways a lot of folks around our church do, we're going to talk more specifically about this next week, People have chosen to be percentage givers here at this church. They give to the work of God here, and folks give to other organizations around the city and around the world. And they said, you know, no matter how much I make, I'm dedicating this percentage of my income to God. See, if I set it on just a set amount, it's kind of like that number in our head. It's like that number in our bank account. That's going to fluctuate and go back and forth. But God, I'm choosing to be good, to to do good with what I've got. So I'm going to give this percentage to you, God. And God, by faith, I'm going to ask that you would Allow me to grow that each year. That's a place that you can start right now tonight to do good with what you got, even if it doesn't seem like a lot. To be generous with others, as this passage teaches, just as they've, God has already been generous with you. You have an extra room. You have a place, maybe that someone needs to stay and crash for a little bit. How can you be generous with that as God has been generous with you? How do we put this teaching to work in our lives? I would encourage you to look for opportunities to invest in the work of God. Find ways, find individuals, find organizations, find a church where you see God at work and you get behind it. 
This is what the Bible teaches again and again and again. It's one of the greatest ways to break our fears and to grow our trust with God and our stuff is to say, God, I actually already see you at work. I've seen you at work through this organization or through this church in my life. I can see the work in other people's lives. So I want to invest in something bigger than myself. I want to build a foundation for something that will actually outlast myself that isn't all about me, but actually is a gift to you, God, and a gift to others. So you don't, you don't have to get rich to be rich. All of us can put these principles to practice this week, whether you have $200 in the bank or whether you have $2 million. All of us can put these principles to practice right now in our lives. See, when you and I learn how to live richly now, right where you're at, it helps you be rich when it really counts. I'm going to say that again because I think this is really important. We get to practice being rich right where we're at. Learning how to live richly now will help me be rich when it really counts. Now, I think that's, I think that's pretty clever. And I'm not seeing it on your faces or your eyes. So I'm actually going to have you turn to the person next to you. And I actually want you to say it. I literally want every single person to turn to the person next to you. And you say it to them like a command. Learning how to live rich now will help you be rich when it really counts. So literally, everyone turn to someone and say it right now. Hey, this is what, this is what 1 Timothy 6 is teaching us. This is what passage after passage after passage in the Bible is teaching us. You don't have to get rich to be rich. Learning how to live richly now will help you if and when God ever blesses you with more resources. If and when you ever get to that magic moving number in your head. If that ever happens, wouldn't you want to know how to be rich before you get rich? You can practice now. Right where you're at. With what you've got. And I know that this is something that God has, has been actively teaching Jeannie and I in our marriage and in our family. How can we live more richly regardless of what we have in the bank? Now, four years ago, th- this, I would have heard this message and said, that is, yeah, good, 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 good. But I had no idea how God was going to put our family to the test in this. And when we set out to start this church about four years ago, we at that time had dual income salaries, benefits. We lived in a dream house that we built, this little house that we built in Atlanta. Our life was good. It was not bad. It was, we were enjoying it. It was very good. Nothing bad about it. We loved it, in fact. And yet when we felt very clearly compelled by God and even called by God to start this church, we knew that it would mean that God was inviting us to leave all of that comfort, which is not a bad thing, but he was inviting us to leave that comfort for greater courage. And then we had to walk into offices with our bosses and say, you know how you guys put money in our bank every couple weeks? Like, I guess you can stop doing, or you can keep doing it if you want, but we're going to stop working, and so you'll probably want to stop doing that. And, And we kind of had to put our house in the market, and when that didn't sell, then we had to rent it out and go, okay, God, this is, boy, this is challenging because it looks like we're going to be living on a lot less than we've ever lived on before as a couple. And here we are with two little kids. And we found ourselves saying, you know, God, we believe that, that it's possible for us, and at least this is just true for me, that my comfort at times can become my confidence. And I can put my hope in the good life 
instead of the true life that God has created me for. And God lovingly was inviting me to something greater than just that. And so, you know, we, we were moving up here and we would sit at the kitchen table and just go, it's not going to work. It's finance, like literally by the numbers, it's not going to work. We can't live, we can't move to a city, into the city with two kids where the cost of living is significantly more and make less and still make it work. Like, God, I don't know if you know how to do math. I know you invented it, but like this doesn't work. This doesn't work. And so we would pray and what we found ourselves doing, and many of you have heard this story, is we felt like God lovingly backed us into a corner and so we brought him with us. And I said, then God, you have to provide for us. And what we became was not more dependent on God, but more aware of our dependence on God. Okay, God, we really do need you. We always have, but we're more aware of it now. We really need you to provide. And at a point in our lives where we literally, there wasn't, this church started from scratch, y'all, just two and a half years ago. We moved here exactly three years ago. This is all very fresh. And so we were kind of looking at it going, you know what, we're going to live in a city that costs more than any other city we've ever lived in. We're going to make less than we've ever made before. And we made a couple commitments. We said, you know what, why not just go all the way? So God, we want to learn, we want to be rich even when we have less than we've ever had before. And so we made a couple commitments and we said, okay, God, we want, to, we want to put this, exactly what we're talking about tonight, we want to put this into practice. And so we made a commitment as a couple and we wanted to model this to our kids. We want to give more than we've ever given to the work of God while we're making less than we've ever made. And I don't know how we did it. And that's not a yay me, that's a yay God. Because he's the one that provided for us. And we would literally have to say, God, like, you got to give us money so we can give it to you. We don't know what else to give to you. You have to provide for us. And he did again and again. And he has again and again and again. And we said, you know what? We decided if we're gonna, for us to live more richly, that means we're going to have to make some hard decisions. We're going to have to say no to some things. And so we looked at the clothes in our closet and said, I don't think they're going to disintegrate anytime soon. I think they can hold for another year. And what if we just said, like, no to fashion or to feeling like we had to upgrade, and we just said, okay, God, we trust that we're, we're okay. You've already been good to us. It was okay. We looked at our, our cars, which thankfully we were able to pay cash for, and we already owned our cars, and so we had one of our cars, the first car we ever bought, we still had three years ago. We still have today. It's the old 96er, a 96 Honda Accord. We call it the old 96er. And I'm telling you, we said, Lord, like, what if we were to actually like keep driving this thing till the wheels fall off? And it's like this close to the wheels falling off. There are times where I think I'm on three wheels. I don't even know. The potholes in the city don't help. And you know what's really fun is we said, you know what, Lord, you've provided with us for our enjoyment. We already have more than we need. You know what's really fun that God put on our hearts when we were making less than we've ever made, living in a city that costs more than we've ever lived, lived, like ever, ever, ever had to spend before. We've actually been able to give our car out more than we've driven it since we moved here three years ago. Because God, we just said, God, we want to live more richly. We just decided we want to kind of put you to the test in this. And I would love to tell you that it has just been victory after victory after victory. It's been hard, but so good. It's meant saying no to some things, and then it's meant being surprised by God's goodness in other ways. It's meant for us that this discipline for us, has, this challenge for us, has actually become a greater joy for us. And God has continued to be faithful and take care of us 
And the more he's entrusted us with, the more we've tried to hold our position and say, you know what, God? I want to be rich with this. We want to live richly with this. And I don't know if you'll ever entrust us to actually get rich, but regardless of that, we want to be rich right here, right now, today. And I think that's an invitation that God is giving to every single one of us. All of our circumstances are different. All of our bank accounts have different amounts in them. All of us have different numbers in our head, but God is inviting every one of us to be rich, to live richly, and to start today. And we have actually, I think, a a really cool next step to help us do just that. And I'm going to invite the band to come up. I want to explain it to you, and then we're going to move forward in a time of worship and reflection. And one of the things I love is how, how it would be one thing for us to sort of like teach this truth from God's word and just go, all right, well, figure it out. Go be rich. But I need help. I know that you need help. We all need help. And so one of the things I love that we've been able to offer a couple times now is we've been able to actually offer a financial workshop here at the church led by financial leaders in our church. These are folks who, who lead in the business world and they actually serve on our stewardship team. And they help speak into and guide the direction of what, how our church uses and leverages the money, how we choose to actually be a rich church, to, do, to be rich in good deeds as a church. These are the folks that guide that and they offer a workshop. What started out as just a workshop, this is what's so fun, is actually become work shops. I want to put the slide up. We actually got to add an S to the end of it. And it's coming up in just really two weeks. It's our Money Wise Financial Workshops. And the reason I say that is this. You may be in a spot where you are really, really, really strapped down by debt. And you long to live this kind of life, but you're like, I don't even know how to, literally, I I don't know how to get there. That future that God has for me is so tied to this past debt. These folks can help you walk very practically through some principles and practices that you can begin to do today to do the hard work to get free. You know what's really cool? Is that there's, you know, they've got folks that will teach how to do basic budgeting. You may never have learned that. Your parents may not have known how to do that or may not have taught that to you or you may have forgotten along the way. This is like we care this much that you learn to live richly, that these folks are giving of their time so that you can grow that way. This is what I really love. You know what's really cool? There's a family workshop so that kids can learn these principles. Can you imagine if someone were to come along to you at eight, nine, 10 years old and said, we want to help you learn to live richly with your life, how that might have freed up and saved you from some of the big mistakes and regrets that you have. This is a great next step. On top of just how we want to put this passage into practice this week, this is a great next step coming up in two weeks. You'll be hearing more about that. But we also want to give you one more great way to put this teaching into practice and it involves little blue buckets and it's coming up in just a minute and I know what you may be thinking like did they really save the offering till after the message talking about money yes we did (laughs) we really did and here's why it has nothing to do with like manipulation or anything like that at all we believe so deeply in the teachings of the Bible, and we love you and this church and what God's doing here so much, we want to have an opportunity for every one of us to put this into practice. That's what this is about. And God's not trying to, God doesn't need your money. We're not trying to get your money. We want you to be free. We want you to learn to be rich, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous as God has generously provided for you. That's why we give around here. 
That's why so many people give online and they set up that percentage and they get it going because they know this is a discipline that leads to joy and freedom. And so we do it as part of our worship because it's a way for us to practice what we say we believe. That all of this comes from God and all of it's for God. And so in just a minute, we're going to receive our offering. I'd encourage you, as God's prompting you to give, to give. You can drop your volunteer cards in there like we talked about earlier. But I'd actually encourage you to use this as a reflection, a real moment of decision for you. Are you going to choose to be rich, to live richly? To sort of put into practice now so that you're ready when it really counts. When that promotion comes or when that opportunity comes, you're ready for it. You'll know how to be rich because you've put these principles in the Bible to work in your life. This is a great opportunity for you to do just that. So I want to pray for our giving and then we're going to sing our hearts out to God together. Can we do that together? Let's pray right now before we give and respond to God. God, thank you for how you have already given everything to us. You have spared no expense on us. And God, forgive me for how quickly I think it's mine. And then it came from my hands and not yours. God, I thank you that your scriptures teach, your Bible, the word of God teaches over and over and over again that it is by the hand of a loving and good and generous God. In fact, your word teaches us that every good and perfect gift comes from you, our Father of heavenly light, showering down your blessing on our lives. And God, give us eyes to see how good you are to us, God. We can become so obsessed with what we don't have that we miss, God, what you've already given. And so we want to respond to your goodness. We want to be rich. We want to be known as a people. We want to be known as a church that lives richly, that invests into the work of God, that is generous with others, that is ultimately, God, free. And so we say now, God, by how we give and how we respond to you, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in my life. Glory to God in my decisions. Glory to God in my finances. Glory to God in my thoughts. Glory to God through my past. Glory to God in my future. Glory to you, God, who deserves all glory and honor and power and praise. We give it all to you because you have already given it all to us. And so not only do we receive now, but God, we give back to you. We love you and trust that you are continuing to meet with us even now as we give and pray and sing. In your name, amen.